morning, good morning, good morning. Happy almost fall. Feels like we're getting closer. Last night I had my first bonfire of the, of the summer fall, whatever we're in. It was nice. It's good. Um, hey, as we get started this morning, I'd love to just open it up, open up the floor. Um, I'd love for a few people just to, just to name out loud something they're grateful for to the Lord this morning, just where, they, where God's been good to them. So hit me up. Where are you feeling? Where are you seeing the Lord? What are you thankful for this morning? Just throw it out there. Yeah. Floodwaters did not take your home in Houston. Praise God. That's amazing. Someone top that. <laughs> Totes JK. Let's throw some more up. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Um, grandma, cancer. I thought it was stage two or more, had surgery, removed it, it was only stage one. I think they got it all. Praise God. Yeah, amen. What else? Welcome to Nashville. It's so good you're here. It's so good you're here. In Nashville, visiting the children. Praise God. What else? This is good. This is good vibe. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, God's word has come alive this week. Yeah. Mm, you said reawakening of dreams? Amazing. Come on. Yeah. Oof. Sisters in Christ, boldly praying over her. Uh, okay, I'm getting hyped. At the... All right, forget the sermon. Let's just keep doing this thing. He ain't getting a sermon. If you came for a sermon, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to get a lot of gratitude. That wasn't funny. The joke already landed. Go ahead. Let's do some more. Let's make me stop talking. Yeah. Say it again. God listens to and answers prayers. Amen. One or two more. Praise the Lord. Worship freely. Amen. Man, God is so good. Um, and to be clear, you didn't just walk into a place where we are all like living blindly as if there's nothing wrong with the world. Um, but just to take some time and go, man, like, but God is good. He, he's like, he's caring over us. He's sovereign. He's taking care of us. Um, I missed you guys last week. I was, I was officiating a wedding in Texas. Um, any Texas people in here? Yeah. That's what it feels like in Nashville. A lot of you guys are here. I don't know how you got here, but welcome. Um, glad you're here. Um, never go back. Um, I'm so excited. Um, to be back. I missed you guys last week. Uh, I actually get to do officiate a wedding for a couple that uh, the guy actually came to Ruby for a while, and uh, it was bittersweet to see him in Texas, and it seems like he's going to stay there, so that was hard, but otherwise it was beautiful. The Lord was present. Um, but last week, Brandon was continuing our series in Rooted, where we are aiming to live deeply in a hurried world. This week, I, what I picture, um, if you have our Rooted journal, the, the journal has like a tree on it. That's kind of what I pictured this week, you know, what it means to, to live deeply in a hurried world. You know, at different times of life, pace can fluctuate, but I think overall we can feel sometimes the, the fast pace of culture. And uh, I just kind of picture a, a strong kind of oak tree in the middle of a storm, and even though the leaves and the branches are moving, you don't get any sense that that oak tree is going anywhere. That's kind of what I feel for the series, that 
that the people of God, as, as the ways of man change, that the people of God will be firmly rooted in the presence of God. That's kind of the aim of this series, that, that no matter what day it is, no matter what season of life we're in, we find ourselves feeling just firmly planted in the presence of God. And last week, Brandon was talking about uh, the word of God, what it means to be anchored in the word, and I was listening to that. I loved uh, what he had to say. Uh, it was talking through uh, where you're at with the word. You know, Do you delight in it? Do you disregard it? Do you dabble in it? Do you despise it? I was like, yo, they all started with D and they're all great questions to think about. It was awesome. Um, and this week we're gonna continue on and uh, we're gonna talk about uh, vision this morning and what it looks like to live a life of vision. And I don't know if that word feels vague to you or kind of abstract or whatever, but what I, I guess what I mean by that is what is telling us where to go? Who is, like, who is the one setting the path? What idea, what person, what teaching, what culture is telling us where our lives should be headed? What's the vision for our lives? And what happens when we have the right vision and what happens when we have the wrong vision for our lives? Right, so some of us, we come in here and our whole lives we've grown up with the vision that life is about career and climbing the ladder and promotion to promotion. And some of you have a vision for your life that goes, all right, I'm in Nashville right now. I'm gonna get my degree, move to this city, do this, then move to that city. You have this vision for your life. But I believe that if we live with a lesser vision than the vision of God, at some point, we'll find that that vision wasn't quite what we thought it would be. Like that we can spend our life climbing a ladder, going, I'm just waiting to get to the top. And you come to the top of that ladder and you realize the whole time it was leaned against the wrong wall. And I wanna to talk today about what it looks like to live with the vision of God. What it looks like to root our lives in a vision of God, that he's the one that guides our steps. We're gonna cover a story of a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah is this prophet, we'll be in Isaiah 6 if you wanna turn there. Um, if you use one of our blue Bibles, page 330. Um, Isaiah chapter six, we're gonna be in verses one through eight. And I, I wanna give you some backstory to this guy, Isaiah, just a little bit. Just a little backstory, all right? Um, not a lot. Isaiah was his prophet. And he was prophesying, speaking to the southern kingdom of Israel. So Israel was divided into two kingdoms. This kingdom was called Judah. And Isaiah was led by God to speak a lot of words to this southern kingdom of Israel. And just to give you some, just a little bit of insight of, of the kind of things he was saying, oftentimes he was warning this kingdom of impending doom, was letting them know it's all gonna go south. If you continue in your rebellious ways, if you continue to rebel against the covenant that God has made with you, it's going bad. And eventually, kingdoms like Assyria or Babylonia, eventually Persia, are going to take over. And Isaiah is giving them some insight. This is going to happen, and it's going to be because you have rebelled against God. He's often exposing sin in people, calling people higher. He's warning of judgment. He's pointing to the coming of Jesus. But in all of Scripture, there aren't many better examples of a guy that spends a lot of his life swimming upstream than Isaiah. Like, you, know, you know what that means? Like if a river's all going downstream, you see a little fish struggling to get upstream, it's like, that's Isaiah. He's saying words that aren't popular, right? Like if I spent my life telling everyone, you've rebelled against God, he's telling me to tell you this, it's all wrong, and it kind of felt like I was on an island, that would be a hard life to live. And that's kind of what Isaiah does. 
He so often is speaking words that aren't very popular, but God has told him to say it. Like he's doing the right thing. And and the question I wanna ask today is, how did a guy like Isaiah spend his life so often standing alone for God? Like what, how do you do that? Like, I don't know, have you ever felt the tension of trying to follow Jesus in this culture? It's kind of hard, right? And Isaiah knows firsthand what that's like, to speak the truth of God, like that God himself has told Isaiah. He's doing the right thing. Like, he's learned a lot about God, God has spoken to him, and he's speaking on his behalf, but he's feeling the resistance. I'm like, what got Isaiah through that? It took a vision of God. And what's it gonna look like for, for us as people of God to root ourselves in a vision of God so grand that we can stand against the currents of culture because we know who God is and where he's leading us. And so we're gonna be in Isaiah chapter six, verses one through eight. I think I actually wanna pray and then read little chunks at a time. Is that cool? Do you approve of that method? Okay, good. All right, um, let's pray. Um, God, thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for Isaiah. Um, Man, the life he lived is powerful. I think we can relate to him maybe even more than than we even realize at this point. God, I believe that Isaiah got glimpses of how amazing you are. And when he caught a vision of you, it just like firmly established him in the middle of a culture that wasn't gonna hear it, wasn't about it. The collective mindset was to go against the ways of God And yet Isaiah, he stood strong in, God, he's got a glimpse of you. He's got a vision of you. Holy Spirit, will you help us understand how that worked for Isaiah and how that can work for us? Will you help this church to be a church rooted in the vision of you? God, will you give us ears to hear you? God, I just pray that over the the long stretch of just this life and walking with you, just build our confidence in you. You are who you say you are. That as everything is slowly dying and rusting and fading away over time, that you are unchanging, that you are eternal, that your kingdom is forever, that your ways are higher than ours. Yeah, we just help us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I wanna walk through this passage, Isaiah chapter six, all right? So Isaiah's, uh, some crazy stuff's about to go down. So <laughs> buckle up, it's about to get good, all right? So Isaiah chapter six, I wanna start with verses one through four, okay? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, You know, you guys know, classic seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. There's this moment that Isaiah is gonna behold the glory of God. I don't know if you've ever had a moment that was really big and beautiful and like almost transcendent and thought, man, 
this is just like a glimpse of the glory of God. This is just, just but a taste. Like while we're here on earth, we just get little glimpses of how big and amazing and powerful and sovereign who God is. I'll give you some really human, shallow examples, okay? So this one time when I was seven, was that funny? <laughs> when I was seven, <coughs> can you imagine what he was like? Um, so I was going to a, a place called Neyland Stadium. It's a wonderful place that is struggling right now. It's where the Tennessee Volunteers play football, all right? And uh, right now it's, it's been forsaken by all of college football. But um, Tennessee at this point was a really good football team. And I was going with my dad and my grandpa, and we're playing Florida. And Florida is like Tennessee's arch nemesis, all right? If you don't care about football, just think of someone you hate. That's Florida to me, all right? So <laughs> think of someone you hate, pray for compassion, but also know that's how I feel about Florida. And uh, so we go to this stadium, and 107,000 people fill the stadium. At the time, I think Neyland Stadium was the third biggest stadium in all of America. And so 107,000 people wearing orange are cheering, and I'm with my dad and my grandpa, and my grandpa can't hear anything, and he still has earplugs. That's how loud it was, and it was useless talking to him that night. He can't hear me. Um, and so watching the game, and Tennessee is an underdog to Florida, and it's just really intense. We never win. I'm just, I'm just super sure we're not going to win, but the crowd is insane, and it finally goes to overtime, and we make a field goal, which isn't that great, because if Florida scores a touchdown, they win, but then we stop them to a very short field goal, so it's going to go to double overtime, and then something insane happens, all right? The Florida kicker misses just a very easy kick, and in that moment, we realized what we didn't think would ever be. Tennessee had beaten Florida, okay? And in that moment, okay, Jubilee, 107,000 people going bonkers. I mean, just insane noise level. I'm seven, I'm, hung, I'm hugging strangers, and like, I don't even know where my dad is anymore, and it's probably not the safest thing, but we're all so excited. If you're wearing orange, you're now in my family. Everyone's screaming out loud. We're like hugging and like crying. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And it was just this insane moment. And I'm like, man, if football can be that good, it's like, I don't just love football because I like to watch 22 guys chase around a weirdly shaped pigskin until they get across the boundary and get awarded points, right? It's like, there's moments like that where everyone goes crazy. And if, like, if something as stupid as football can feel like that, if something as dumb as, and if you love football, I'm not trying to insult you, I love it too, but if something as like, ridiculous as football can unify 107,000 people, all cheering in unity and commonality for the same goal, same thing, like, if that can happen, like, just imagine what heaven's going to be like. I mean, football's stupid. Who cares? But, like, man, 107,000 people screaming, you're like, whoa. Have you ever had a moment like that? Like, we had, like, a show in the band that you just had all the highest expectations for, and they surpassed them, and everyone's just screaming and crying. One time I was in New York City, and Justin Bieber's going to be on Good Morning America, and he walked out, and those, the girls beside me, I was very worried. They were like, <gasps> just hyperventilating. Have you had a moment where it's just transcendent? Like, whoa, this is such a beautiful moment. It's like, that's just a glimpse. We can only but barely get a taste test for how good God is, how amazing he is. And Isaiah's gonna have a moment like that that's a lot deeper. If you can't tell, I struggle to think of an example, okay? Because Isaiah like sees the seraphim, so I, I don't know. All I can think of is football. But anyway, Isaiah has this moment where God's gonna give him a, just a little taste test of how glorious and powerful and majestic it is. It says that there's these seraphim with six wings, using two to cover their face, two to cover their feet, and two to fly, which is insane. It says that the robe of God fills this throne room. 
that the foundations are shaking. Isaiah sees the glory of God, just a glimpse. I don't think he's beholding the, the full glory of God here. He's getting but a glimpse of God. And in that moment, when he, see God, when he sees God's glory, he recognizes immediately God is not normal, all right? He's not human. He's not really relatable. He's so big and glorious. Like, I wonder what Isaiah grew up going. I wonder what God's like. Oh, I bet he's a nice guy. I'd love to get coffee with God. And in that moment, right, there's two guys with a lot of wings and they're singing the praises of God and smoke's filling the room and smoke kind of filters the vision, right? If like a smoke is filling the room, you can't even really see it right. And even with smoke filling the room, he's still like, whoa, the glory of God is completely other than. I don't know how you hold God in your heart, what you think he's like, know this. He is really holy, really powerful, and it is infinitely different than us. Powerful. Any false illusions crumbled in that moment of who God is. The glory of God. I want you to see this. This blew my mind this week. I'm hyped, man. This is so good. <sighs> Verse five. Watch this. He sees the glory of God, and he, and he goes, I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is a stunning reaction. Have you ever like, thought about, what if Jesus walked into the room? Oh man, I'd hug him, we'd talk, we'd catch up. It'd be beautiful. Hey buddy, hey buddy. No! Like Isaiah sees God in all his splendor, all his majesty, all his holiness. And I want to be really clear. He does not have an identity crisis. He does, not, he does not start believing a false narrative that's not actually true. He realizes immediately what is true, and that is, you are holy, I am not. <laughs> whoa, 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 slow, slow down, slow down. I didn't know you were showing up. I can't be here. I'm unclean in Hebrew. It means I am going to surely die. That's what it means. He sees God in his holiness, his perfection, his sovereignty, and any little bit of control he thought he had over his life, totally exposed. Oh, that's God. Okay, whoa, 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 please, please, please. Like, no, 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 I can't be here. I don't belong here. And he is right. Hear me saying that. When a perfect God meets a sinful human, they do not belong. The gap between God and man is real. Isaiah becomes fully aware of just how infinitely far apart God and man is. You ever live a season of life and just go, who's the God of my life right now? It's me. I'm in control. I got this. One day, that will expose itself. In this life or the next, we will sit before the glory of God, and there will be no doubt who's sovereign, who's in control, who's powerful, and what life was worth living. It will, it, it, no more doubt. No more like, oh, let's talk about it. What's God really like? No, no, no. God will reveal himself and we will be fully aware of the splendor and the gap between the two. And I just want to say this. This gap cannot be closed on human accord. We cannot close it. Isaiah wasn't going, whoa, whoa, I'm unclean. Hold on. Let me take care of this. Never happens with Isaiah. And there goes, oh, I'm unclean. Let me, let me go clean up. Let me go clean up. I'll come back. No, <laughs> I'm going to die. That's the answer. No shower, no ritual can fix the gap here. Like, I'm going to die. This is too much. 
But then watch this, all right? So we got the glory, we see the gap, the gravity of sin. But then right after, then one of the seraphim flew to me. Try to picture that. No idea. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands, so he also has hands. So six wings and hands now, okay? There's a lot of moving parts to this guy. (laughs) Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Guys, oh my goodness. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Oh, gosh. Isaiah sees the glory of God. It's way different, not man-made, impossible. The gap is infinitely ride, ride, he, wide, all right? He sees the gap. He's not wrong, not an identity crisis. There is an infinitely wide gap. The gravity of sin is real. And then just like that, this winged creature that was just singing the praises of God, the Lord of hosts, comes, puts a coal on his lips. I don't know if it hurt or not but he makes them clean. He goes, behold, your sins are atoned for. When there is a gap, when there's a piece of land here and a piece of land here and they're not connected, you cannot move the gap to a conveniently placed bridge. Does that make sense? If there's a gap, you don't go, how do we move this gap to a bridge so it's no longer a gap, right? The only way to bridge the gap is to bring a bridge to the gap. Does that make sense? Isaiah has no fault. You're like, yes, that makes sense. Thank you. I never knew how bridges worked before that. I thought they always moved the pieces of land. All right. (laughs) That's how my brain works, all right? I'm trying to make sure second graders can get this thing, okay? So you don't go and find a bridge. The gap is helpless unless a bridge finds it. That is the situation between Isaiah and God. I am unclean. I will surely die unless... I do not belong here unless God says otherwise. That's it. You understand? We do not belong in the presence of God unless God says otherwise. And in that moment, the seraphim with the six wings and the two hands and maybe some feet flies over to Isaiah, atones for his sins. The grace of God in this moment. Isaiah was left hopeless rendered useless, and he was right about how useless he was, and then God, because of his grace, closes the gap. Unclean no longer. If this doesn't point to the goodness of Jesus, this is my life. Maybe you're relating to this story. Looking at the wreckage of my life, I don't show up to God being like, hey, you're welcome. Sure glad you got me on your team. I bring a whole lot to the table for you, don't I? What? Eternity has just been happening? I just show up to it? There's a God that's in control of all of it? My goodness, thanks be to God that when we were found in our dirt and our grossness and our sin and our darkness, and I want to be clear, we're not innocent. We love it. Love it. I love it. I love darkness. I love worshiping myself. I love idolatry. I love addiction. I love drugs. Oh, so much. Huge part of my story. I don't come into God going, oh, I got it. My own moral compass got me here. No. God, by his grace in Jesus, closes an infinitely wide gap that does exist unless Jesus shows up. And thanks be to God, Jesus showed up. The grace 
over Isaiah's life in this moment. And that same grace that Isaiah experienced, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself a little bit, but it is totally available to you. There is no gap too wide. Who can separate us from the love of God? In Jesus, nothing. It is absolutely impossible. The grace of God over Isaiah's life. And then I want you to watch the result. I'm sweaty. (laughs) And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, oh, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah, I just imagine not even, he almost interrupts God. Who can I send? Oh, God, here I am. Send me. I'm in. When you behold the glory of God, the gap, the chasm between you and God, and then watch God go the full distance to close that gap and invite you into relationship as clean, beloved. And God goes, hey, I need a favor. I got it. Hey, I need you to, I got it. What's up? I'll do it. In this moment, Isaiah's like, okay, I don't know what my vision for life was before this. I don't know what I thought was important. Maybe I wanted the family with the picket fence, whatever, and if that falls in line with the vision of God, that's great, but if it doesn't, it's gone. (laughs) God, whatever you have for me, I am in. What do you need? He has this moment where his vision is anchored in God, and he spends the rest of his life with this posture. I gotta get back to my notes. As you can see, I never looked at them. Um, Hold on, oh yeah. And Isaiah spends the rest of his life really rubbing against culture, going against the current, speaking to deaf ears. How? He beheld the glory of God. And he realizes there's a new equation at work, that God plus anything equals victory. One verse one, one verse 10, one verse 1,000, one verse a nation. If God is on the side of the one, that is victory. He goes, oh, okay, that's God. Whatever you say, if God is with me, what is it? If God is for us, and the answer, who cares? (laughs) Who cares? Like, if this infinitely powerful and yet simultaneously gracious God is for us, I don't even gotta ask the question anymore. Just what do we got? What's on your plate? What do you got for me today? What's the vision for my life? Wherever you're leading, I'm headed there. Wherever you tell me to go, I'm going. Who will I send? Me. 10 out of 10, I'm in. When you behold God, when you see the gap, when you receive the grace, it reorients the vision of your life. Jesus gave us some insight on this in John Chapter five, verses 19 through 20, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Jesus says, whatever the father is doing, you'll find me doing it. Wherever he's leading, you'll find me walking. Whatever he's telling me to do, I'm doing that. That's how this goes. And if we're gonna be a people that are rooted in the ways of God and the presence of God, we must be a people that bring our lives to his presence and says, I get my vision only from you.
Whatever fits in with that works. Whatever doesn't will perish. We must be a people rooted in the vision that God is giving us. What will it look like? What will my life look like if the posture of my heart is whatever I see the Father doing, I'm doing it. Whatever his vision for my life is my vision. His ways are higher than my ways. I do not assume God of my life. That idea is not God of my life. This cultural norm is not God of my life. This religion is not God of my life. God, what he is doing, he is God. He's leading me. He's my vision. And the tension I felt this week is like, yeah, but I've never seen seraphim, all right? I was never at Eighth and Rose drinking a latte, and then boom, the temple filled with his robe, smoke everywhere, six wings, two hands, maybe two feet, hot, cold lips. That never happened to me, right? Like, does anyone feel that? Like, okay, great, good for Isaiah. I could use a vision like that. I feel like I'd be a little stronger if God would do that, right? I think as people of God, to posture ourselves in humility and just embrace the tension, this is how we'll close up today, embrace the tension of the mysterious and the material. Embrace the tension of the mysterious and the material. I don't think that Isaiah woke up that day and went, you know what? I feel like getting a vision. I feel like it. I'm gonna see God today. I'm gonna see it in a real new way and in however many years later, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, sometime. I'll ask you later, Cody. But how many later, people are still gonna be reading it and talking about it. That's what's gonna happen today. Isaiah did not wake up that morning doing that. I don't think Peter woke up one morning and went, you know what, today's the day I'm gonna walk on water. I thought about it long enough. I've game planned this long enough. I've got the blueprints. It's time. I'm gonna walk on water. (laughs) Didn't happen, right? That's not how it works. There's some mysterious things that God does that we don't have a plan for, that we can't prepare for. It's just gonna happen. But what I do believe is that Isaiah, Peter, people of God, that in the material, the things that we can control, they were postured to behold the presence of God. They put themselves in position to behold the beauty of God. I cannot promise you that if you read your Bible seven days straight, pray hard, worship hard, journal, do all the stuff that falls into the stereotypical Christian life, that you're gonna have some amazing vision of God this week. I can promise you that if we'll walk with a posture of open hands, totally submitted to the Lord Jesus, God will, he will reveal himself to you. You will behold him. It's not on us to control the mysterious, to harness in the glory of God and see it in some big, beautiful fashion. It's on us to get into the presence of God and be committed to beholding the Lord. And this works out in a few ways, right? That's what we're spending this whole series doing. I mean, last week, anchored in the word. Like there's, this is one place where you'll, it'll happen. You'll spend some seasons reading and being like, there is no way this is divine. Like you'll be in Leviticus like, no, <laughs> where is the Lord? <laughs> Why have you betrayed me, you know? You're gonna have seasons like that. You'll have other seasons where you'll read Leviticus and go, whoa, God, that, the God of that is the God of my life, and I totally see it. But be committed to being in the word. And where I felt that the Lord was leading me today, be committed to just being in the presence of God and giving him your full attention. 
I think sometimes we set weird bars for what it looks like to, to follow God. Okay, 30 minutes a day or a chapter a day. And I think those are, those are good. You gotta know your personality, I know how it works. But I think a goal that is fair to set for everyone, no matter what personality type you are, no matter what your lifestyle is like, to be a person fully committed to giving God your full attention daily, to setting aside space to go, God, right now, I'm giving you all of me. I'm not sharing me with anybody. That our church would be full of people that go, look, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand the mysterious, but I'm committed to sitting in the presence of God and seeking his face with my full attention, nothing else. A few ways that this can work, well, I actually only have one. I, don't, I just wanted to remind you about the journal that we have, so never mind, it's just a small example, but like that rooted journal. Has anyone been reading the rooted journal? The rooted journal, guys, that we handed out, and if you want one and don't know what I'm talking about, I'll, I'll easily, we have plenty, we have excess, but it's 21 days of reading some scripture about Jesus. It's following his life, which is really fun, really cool, and giving us just a few prayer points. If you go, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to sit in the presence of God and give him my full attention. It's like, start there. Take one of our journals home and spend the next 21 days and every day, Carve out some time to read that, to pray, and to give God your full attention. But I believe this is so important. And what I felt like the Lord was leading me to, as actually I got to speak at college night this past week on a Wednesday night. And during worship, I felt like God gave me um, just a really specific word. And I think it's actually for us today as well. I felt like God was leading me just to pray over our places of solitude and silence. And a lot of times this will be your bedroom. It's like just before you go to sleep, it's usually that's when your life is at its quietest. I feel like God was like, man, if, if I can have your bedroom, if I can have that place, I've got your life. Because what happens in the bedroom at the end of the day? It's like that's when all the worries and the anxieties and the insecurities and the struggles and the confusion, like that's when everything, once you sit still long enough, your brain lets you know what you've really been thinking about, what you're really feeling. And we live in a culture where I think the bedroom, even when I said, what happens in the bedroom, you had some thoughts that culture has given us. It's like perversion happens in the bedroom. Anxiety attack happens in the bedroom. Fear happens in the bedroom. When I'm alone with my thoughts, that's where it's... Uh, I had a friend this week tell me, I stay out as late as possible with my friends so I don't have to be home alone. And then when I'm really tired, I go home, so I, just, I get to bed and I fall asleep immediately. I think that might be a good measure for that person in this season of life. But I just, I believe that God wants to have that place. That place of presence and silence. Like what if when we got to the end of our day, we were anxious to go to our beds, be like, oh, Lord, whew, missed you. I miss being able to be quiet and just talk to you for a little bit. Or what if when we woke up in the morning and before our day had started, in that place of silence and solitude, we were God's. That, that, solid, that loneliness turned into solitude, right? Loneliness and solitude look really similar. It's one person by themselves. I think that one acknowledges that God is with them and it's a gift to be in the presence of God. And so I just wanna invite us that if we're gonna be a people like Isaiah, the same spirit that was leading this moment here, it's the Holy Spirit that's been given to us, that dwells in us, the helper, the spirit of truth, 
And I wanna invite us, usually we circle up and talk because I think it's really good to participate and exchange ideas. I think God moves in that. But today it's a little more personal, so I, I thought I kinda wrestled with how to do it. I think we're gonna do it on our own today. And then I'll lead us in communion in a few minutes. But I wanna invite you to just picture where your place of silence and solitude is and pray that that becomes a place of, can we put that slide up, of beholding the glory and the grace of God. Oh, are the slides not working? All right, so look, I want you to just ask God what was supposed to be up there, all right? (laughs) Um, No, but okay, what it was gonna say, and you can picture it in your head, um, was pray that your places of silence and solitude would become places where you behold the glory and the grace of God. We get to remove the gap out of that one. We get to behold the glory of God and recognize that he has touched down into our lives. And what if your places of alone time and solitude became safe places, not threats, not anxious places, but safe places to be with the Lord, to read his word, to pray, to listen, to worship. I believe that God has so much for you in your places of silence and solitude. He wants to start there. It's right in line with Matthew chapter six, right? God says, hey, when you pray, go, go to the private place. No one can see you, be with the Father. So that's what I have for us this morning. And so for the next five minutes, I want you to treat this like your living room. A few of you sometimes take me up on this offer, and all of you are welcome to, but if you need to move around, if you need to walk outside, whatever it looks like for you to be with God, but I just wanna invite you to pray. Pray to God, God, I'm just picturing my bedroom right now. I'm picturing it, I see it. I'm picturing how I normally get in bed at night. I just immediately grab my phone or I exhale and just try to ignore the distractions in my mind and go to sleep. God, will you make that place a place where I understand your presence is near? God, will you move in that place? God, will you help my bedroom or that car ride or or that spot at the park or that backyard? Will you help that to become a place of worship? Will you help me to hear your voice? God, will you use that place to expose where the enemy's been lying to me? God, will you expose the darkness in my heart? Will you lead me toward your presence? Lead me toward repentance? Lead me to worship? And so, anyway, this might feel weird, but I'm gonna invite you to to pray on your own and pray over those places. I'm gonna come back up in about five minutes. I'm gonna invite us to communion. We'll take it together. But for now, picture that place of silence and solitude and ask God to reveal himself in that place over the long haul. Not tomorrow, but over your life, over your lifetime.